The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. There are lots of lousy businesses, and there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio from the Global News Radio studios in Toronto with Hi-Fi Portfolio Managers. Here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Good evening, my friends. Thank you for spending some time with Jack and I. Uh, I must say I'm very excited. we got an amazing show lined up uh, for this Saturday night. Uh, Jed Dorsheimer, uh, he is our senior, well, one of our senior equity analysts at Canaccord Genuity. Uh, going to be speaking to him in Boston about Tesla. And, uh, uh, you know, Jed nailed uh, <laughs> a strategic uh, direction for Tesla. Uh, it, it, it's quite uncanny. Uh, follow up uh, with a discussion with Tony Dwyer, our chief uh, strategist. Uh, frequently on CNBC. Uh, again, Tony's got some great analogies about the market and flying an airplane. It's, again, going to be a great show. Uh, my good friends, get comfortable and let's learn something because that's what we do. This is a money workshop, uh, I like to believe, where I uh, get the opportunity to speak to some very, very smart minds and both Jack and I get an opportunity to learn something and we apply that knowledge in managing client assets and of course if you have any questions for jack and i uh wolfgangkline.com uh, everything and anything about money is right there at your fingertips and of course uh, leave us a message we will get back to you uh without further ado uh jed uh dorsheimer thank you very kindly for uh, uh giving us a little bit of a heads up on the latest developments on tesla good evening sir and how are you i'm doing well thanks for having me uh, so uh, I really appreciate you uh, uh, reaching out to Jack and I. Um, uh, last time you were on the show, my wife was dazzled by your brilliance, completely dazzled. She thought just thought you were just a genius, and, and you are. Uh, and so it's a real delight to have you as a, a partner at Canaccord. I'm privileged to be able to spend time with you and learn. Dad, let's go back. You've had a bit of a thesis for how Tesla's strategic game plan could and perhaps will play out. And some recent announcements are verifying your theses. Um, please talk to us about uh, the Powerwall and what's going on with Tesla as a car company versus uh, an ecosystem type business model. Yeah, so, you know, if you kind of look at, uh, you know, our upgrade call, um, I guess a couple of weeks ago, uh, and if you, you know, the more salacious part is sort of the, the comparison to uh, an Apple-esque type brand, um, which always gets people excited. But if I kind of go back to my own personal, uh, so an M plus one experience here, you know, Apple got me um, uh, to be part of their ecosystem with the iPod back in 2003. And so I bought that because, you know, I want to consolidate and have my CDs, which, uh, you know, uh, for those of you not old enough, that's how we stored uh, our music, you know, in one one place. And 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 I counted how many devices I I have purchased over the years from Apple, and it's it's twenty seven. And so, and that includes, you know, I have two children and and a wife, and we've all kind of migrated to that platform um, because of ease of use and the idea that we're you know that the product was. Uh, would operate better, the interface. 
um, which it, it does. And so if we kind of apply that same methodology to Tesla, you know, Tesla's had a lot of success because, you know, much like Apple, they've thought differently really about solving the problem in terms of EVs. And they came out with the, the S and the X, which were, you know, luxury items for rich people. But, you know, the three and the Y, and unfortunately, those two platforms only shared about 20% overlap. So it was largely bespoke in terms of the manufacturing, but the price was high enough that you carried a higher margin. Now, as you look to the Y and the three, fundamentally different, lower price, higher volume for much wider uh, total addressable market in terms of the availability. And they share 80% of the same platform, uh, ergo higher uh, uh, margin profile, in our opinion, on that, which is uh, contrarian to what I think most people look at when they look at um, the profitability. And so, you know, as you start to get people on board, and I'll come back to the profitability in a minute, but if you get people on board with the three, if I'm going to put solar on my house, um, am I more likely to be inclined, and you got 500,000 plus uh, owners out there, Tesla's got a trove of clients that already believe in the brand and they're able and they're actively pitching solar right now with a very low cost with an upsell in terms of that power wall. And that is really our call that we think that they're going to move, they're going to continue to do well on the profitability of what they're doing on the auto, but also as they start to open up more uh, storage capacity, that it's going to be the power wall and the, and the mega pack. So on the energy storage side, that, quite frankly, the street doesn't have in, uh, in most models. Um, and so, uh, so that was the basis for our upgrade. Um, Jed, let's take it to, to the next level. Um, batteries are going to produce a whole lot of waste. Um, what is, do you believe in Tesla's playbook to minimize and reduce waste and, and, and augment then the power wall with these batteries for a second generation application? Well, so there's a bunch of different areas that we can dig into there, but let's just take it before we get there, kind of look at, so, so Tesla's strategy with a lot of the three and the Y being produced in China is using LFP technology. Um, they've got the joint venture with um, Panasonic here in the U.S. with the 2170 cell design that's supplying a high energy density product to the, the three, the Y uh, the S and the and the X, and they're coming out with a 4680 tabless design, which is really revolutionary, which allows them to do more with less. In fact, it, it, it could potentially give them seven times more uh, with that design uh, with the same amount of base materials. And on the upstream side, you know, there's continued headwinds in terms of literally where we're strip mining, uh, you know, islands to try and get nickel. Um, as well as uh, supp uh, supply issues on lithium. So that's going to continue to be a headwind. So the ability to do more with less, we think, is really important, which opens up the optionality for Tesla to kind of to, to, to do more than simply just the vehicle uh, that they're delivering, but to move into uh, energy storage. Um, so that's kind of the, the, you know, to level set what, what we think is going on in terms of a cradle to cradle, which I think is where you're going with the, with the question. There's a lot of different areas to kind of address the recycling, 
um, if you will. You know, when a pack dies, since it's made up of lots of cells, it, it's usually one or two bad actors and not the entire pack, um, which there's multiple markets for sort of uh, second life. Um, in addition to uh, potentially energy storage, you know, you've got the e-rickshaw and, uh, um, and going into third world uh, countries, scooters, et cetera. Um, so there is a, a, uh, a program in terms of Second Life, if that's where your uh, question was, uh, was going to. Well, again, it, it's a combination of questions. Um, number one, we all understand solar uh, in that solar works when the sun is out. It doesn't work so well at nighttime. So to be able to store that power, uh, again, Tesla uh, having a mover advantage, uh, understands storage, I think, better than uh, anyone. But there's also the environmental consequence of it similar to nuclear with how much waste do we produce that we can't actually recycle. Jed, I want to throw a question at you. Uh, a stock that uh, I own is Enphase Energy, a solar manufacturing company that allows you two-way <laughs> movement, shall I say, of current. In other words, you can sell the current back to the grid. You don't need to store the current. Uh, and again, uh, you're the tech guy. I'm not. Um, uh, are you familiar with the company at all, Jed? I am. I don't cover it. I cover their competitor, SolarEdge, um, but I am familiar with the company. And does SolarEdge have the same technology where uh, you can beam back up to the grid the power that you generate? So all companies you can uh, are bi-directional in your ability to capture the power. Um, if you have a storage device, you can store it on-prem or you could uh, sell it back to the utility. I think the company Enphase you're referring to, SolarEdge, ABB, you know, all of these they're in the inverter market. So the uh, technology that they're providing is the ability to capture the photons and turn those into electrons and then invert that. Um, now, here is an area where I think Tesla has a very unique, and we have a bigger call on a company called Cree, um, which we're very bullish on, uh, which is moving from silicon to silicon carbide. And that has a lot of advantages uh, in terms of making the inverter uh, more efficient. That's quite frankly why Tesla just destroyed Porsche in terms of having two times the range at half the cost. Um, a, a lot of that is tied up in their inverter technology, which gives a 5% net gain. We believe that they're also delivering that in the energy storage, which will give them you know, a, uh, a gain in that market as well. Absolutely fascinating stuff. How long have you been covering Tesla now for Jet? I first met, Elon in um, 2009. Uh, Did you and, say, uh, excuse me, whoa, 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 stop the bus. Meet, met, you met Elon Musk? Yeah. No, I've, I sat down with yeah, yeah, uh, him yeah, 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 yeah. Of course I did. <laughs> I had a, a couple hiatuses in the, in the, uh, uh, from a Wall Street perspective. So in 2013 and 14, I uh, helped with U.S. energy policy. And then in, uh, in, 16, I, I left and uh, was an executive at a Fortune uh, 500. From a coverage perspective, I picked up coverage in uh, the second half of or summer of 2018. Wow. I'm going to have to ask you after the break uh, what it was like to meet Elon Musk. I just shared a picture on Instagram uh, with uh, Mick Jagger sitting down at a uh, coffee, co cocktail party with uh, Jack Nicholson. It's Jack Nicholson's birthday, by the way, this week. But that would have been a cool table to sit at as well. Uh, hanging out with you and Elon, my friend, 
equally cool. Uh, Jed Dorsheimer spending some time with us this Saturday night, my good friends. We're talking money. We're talking Tesla. We are talking about future technology. Stay tuned. Money. Let's take a break. But after, Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Check ignition and may God's love be with you. Well, my good friends, it is a great tune, but I gotta interrupt. The brilliance of Bowie uh, as we speak with Jed Dorsheimer. Uh, we're talking about technology. Uh, Jed, uh, tell me something. Uh, the first mission to the moon, how much computing power do you guesstimate <laughs> those, those courageous men had? Uh, I, I, I say that because we are now able to remote control the, what, the, 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 uh, the rover on Mars and, 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 and have that little thing fly around and, and, and do all kinds of wild thing from earth. It's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think, uh, I don't know the exact, um, data in terms of a moon mission, but, uh, but I, I think it's fair to say that the computing power, uh, on that, uh, uh, Apollo 11 was far less than that of, uh, what's on our phones. But that's exactly it. I think our my iPhone, my iPhone XX, I think had more computing power. It's it's it it really it baffles the mind that it, that that was able to navigate uh, man to the to the moon and back safely to Earth. It's just incredible. Um, we're talking Tesla. About we're talking about a thousand times actually. I I, I think is the or, oh, or something crazy in terms of the the number. So just to put it in context, and I think most people do have a most people think in a linear uh, fashion, um, which makes a lot of sense. We, you know, grow up, time is linear. And, um, but uh, when we think log scale, uh, it's really hard to comprehend. Quite frankly, I think that's one of, been one of the challenges with COVID uh, is, uh, is here you have something that is, is log scale. And so people tr- often try and take a linear approach to log-based uh, uh, root issues. And, you know, to tie that back to Tesla, I think that's one of the things that Elon's done really well is to look through, look at problems um, from a systems perspective, which is is the framework that, quite frankly, we've built here at Canaccord Genuity in the sustainability uh, practice. You know, uh, you're, 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 you're getting me quite excited, Jed, because when you, again, I don't think a lot of our listeners understand what logarithmic scale is versus linear, which is a straight line. Logarithmic looks more like a hockey stick, but uh, again, it, it's the eighth wonder of the world, uh, Sir Isaac Newton, or was it, um, uh, no, it wasn't Isaac Newton, it was Einstein, Albert Einstein, who said compounding is the eighth wonder of the world, and compounding is logarithmic. you got to plant some seeds, give it time, and then so much fruit. That's really what Jed's talking about when it comes to technology. Um, a logarithmic individual is Elon Musk. Jed, you met Elon Musk. you got to share with the audience, what was that cat like to hang out with for a bit? You know, our first conversation was an interesting one. I had owned a uh, little, um, as a hobby, a Formula 3 race team, 
um, that I, I and drove one of my cars. So I've always kind of been passionate about uh, uh, sports cars, and in this case, a uh, Formula race car. And uh, and so our first conversation was actually about um, creating a, a Formula E or an electric uh, uh, platform. Um, of which he was kind of lukewarm on. Um, I think that, uh, um, and given the the number of things now looking back in terms of that he was working on, I I can uh, I certainly don't uh, uh, hold that against him. He's uh, he's done an amazing, uh, you know, a lot of amazing feats. Um, and this was prior to launching the the Model S actually uh, at the uh, at the time. So. You know, we got to see a, a glimpse of Tesla in the early um, Roadster uh, uh, days and kind of seeing that progress. Subsequent uh, meetings that I had were were more business-related in terms of, uh, you know, the actual, uh, the next time was with the S launch and kind of uh, the key hires that he was bringing in and how they were thinking through that. Um, so, yeah, it's it's been... Uh, Fascinating and, uh, and interesting, and one of the the things that uh, that I love about this job is you do get exposed to um, uh, some some people that are are literally uh, changing the world, uh, um, and uh, and that's fun. You know, Elon really is changing the world, and Jack, you would agree. Uh, the, this job of ours causes us to really stretch our minds and and think differently and uh, well look at new and different ways of doing business correct absolutely and uh, Jed was talking about it you know a lot of people do think linear and when you're thinking financial and over time and exponential growth that's what we look to for our clients and we're trying to like you said build the foundation and over time um, we've done the math it typically takes 20 to 25 years um, before that that money to really start compounding and where your money begets more money, but it's a, it's a process and uh, it's very important. Um, I just wanted to talk to, to Jed about uh, Elon Musk. Cause there's a lot that's said about his engineering uh, capabilities, obviously with SpaceX and Tesla, but uh, most recently with the, the auto designs, I think you, um, you mentioned the fact that, um, you know, that they've streamlined the models, but there's other models that they have where Elon has really uh, put his hands into where they're not, quite as streamlined and they're maybe they're not as profitable. So just maybe you could speak to his, um, you know, hands on approach in terms of engineering with the Tesla and also SpaceX. So I, I don't know SpaceX, so I'll, I'll, you know, abstain from, uh, um, touching on that, but it, you know, there is a good and bad of having Elon involved in the, uh, in the design product. I mean, one of the reasons that the S and the X only share 20% of the platform is because of the uh, continuous tinkering and, and modifications, um, which, uh, which resulted in, in some cool factor, you know, with the gullwing doors, et cetera, on the X, um, but a very limited, uh, um, uh, you know, less profitable in terms of that uh, sharing profile. Um, so I think with the three and the Y, uh, you didn't have that, in, in, and I think we're going to have a dramatically different outcome in terms of how profitable those uh, uh, those vehicles actually are. Where I do think that, you know, Elon's first principle, and for those who are not familiar with a first principle approach, it, it, it's meaning that you're, you're <clears throat> starting from a number that can't be broken down any further. So looking at the basic physics, for me, I, I um, come back to 
the relationship in the physical world of uh, matter and uh, and energy. And so that's kind of the, the framework. That's our first principle of approach in the laws of uh, thermodynamics. So by looking at a first principle approach, you can often take as, you know, a radically different way to solve a problem where most companies are, um, uh, most manufacturing companies adhere to mitigation of risk. And what that means is, you know, uh, they're doing things that are incremental or linear. Um, but if you say, why does that have to be done that way? Is there a different way? That it, there's a tolerance that it requires a much higher level of risk, but the rewards can be much greater. And that is a real difference in separation from the way that the culture that I think has been built at Tesla from other companies. Um, and when you look at a, a GM or a Ford, I guarantee you that there are processes in place largely built off of Toyota's manufacturing uh, process or a lean-based manufacturing. And lean is a set of criteria to manage down risk where you're, you're creating a stretch goal and, and in climbing a mountain, it's about taking that one step at a time versus looking at that mountain and saying, is that path even the right path to take? Could we scale that much faster by taking a different approach? And so it's a, it's a dramatically uh, different way of looking at the world. Oh, my. Jed, really, you're, you're stretching my brain beyond belief right now. Um, let's go back to Tesla because the, the world of automotive is going electric. And it's funny, Jed. Um, <laughs> We all have our quirks. My quirk is I don't really like recycling cars. I think cars are a bit of a waste of money, and I'm driving less and less. So I'm driving a 17-year-old car. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm honestly hesitant uh, in terms of replacing it with another combustible engine because I know the world is going electric. But beyond Tesla, at the dealership level today, you still don't see a lot of electric stuff. But there are promises from every manufacturer, as you know, of, of an EV coming to a dealership near you soon under every uh, brand umbrella. I, I see you with, with the competition really coming at Tesla. How much of a first mover advantage do they have as an automotive company? And uh, again, second, third derivative thought, um, Jed, in your mind, what is Tesla? We go back to ecosystem, but in your mind, what is Tesla? Is it a car company? Is it a tech company? Is it a power storage company? Or is it so much more? Yeah, I mean, I think that comes back to, uh, you know, when you think about Apple and you say, you know, what is Apple? Um, and this is where Simon Sinek, I think, does. And for those not familiar, you know, I recommend watching his TED Talks on, you know, uh, um, and has a book on It Starts With Why. And so when you look at the why statement for Apple, it's we think differently, that campaign that they ran, which quite frankly, appealed to the geek in me and I think many other people that that um, that were drawn to thinking about things differently and being part of that ethos. Sure, they made computers, they made phones, but so didn't Samsung. So didn't, um, you know, IBM. So why has Apple been so wildly successful? And it's because you're, you know, and this kind of gets to, I think, the psychology within all of us in this species is we want to be part of things, the tribal nature that you tap into. Mm. And you see this, 
you know, on the, the negative side around politics, right? Identity politics uh, that, huh. in, you know, in the U.S., it's like I'm a Republican or I'm a Democrat. Well, no, you're neither. Right. But but you're associating. <laughs> and so when you think about Apple, they've tapped into that, you know, in my opinion, that same vein that that has a, a lot of momentum. And if you think about Tesla, they're doing the exact same thing. Yes, they make cars, but really at the heart of it, you're being part of a movement that is viewed as is making positive change. The move from internal combustible to electric, the move to solar and energy storage. And really at the heart, I think they're trying to become a energy company. Whether or not they'll be successful of that is to be seen, right? But that is what they are trying to do. And that's kind of at the heart of our call is that at a certain level, you know, you asked about first mover advantage, having millions of people on the road as your customer and getting all of the data that's coming from uh, those customers and, and really the almost a cult-like following by a lot of them is a tremendous advantage to somebody that, that is just starting out and has, quite frankly, you know, if you look at most of the OEMs have been negative. Uh, on this uh, this transition to uh, to EVs, so I do think that gives them a, a you know a considerable advantage in the marketplace. Well, Mercedes is advertising its new EV, uh, brilliant uh, commercial. We'll see, of course, um, what the product uh, has to bear. But it, it's an exciting time. It, it really, really is, Jed. I can't thank you enough for all of your uh, thought and wisdom. Uh, absolutely brilliant stuff. Uh, Jed Dorsheimer, uh, Managing Director, Senior Analyst at Canaccord Genuity, uh, gracious with his time this Saturday night. I uh, wish you and yourself uh, a safe uh, weekend, my good friend. And uh, we're going to head over and speak with Tony Dwight right after this commercial break. Uh, it's going to be great, my good friends. Stay tuned and turn up your radio. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Start spreading the news. I'm leaving today. I want to be. Well, if we can't go to New York. We can call New York, and that's what we're doing. Speaking to our chief uh, strategist, excuse me, and Mr. Tony Dwyer, Canaccord Genuity's head of the U.S. Macro Group and chief market strategist. Uh, he also sits on our firm's U.S. operating committee. Uh, he, in fact, turns the lights on in the morning as he's the first man in the office, and he has the key to the church of Canaccord on Wall Street. Tony Dwyer, ladies and gentlemen, good evening. Hey, Wolfie, how are you, buddy? Yeah, I'm not as mellow as you, Tony. Uh, but you're about to go into makeup and go on CNBC. You're so mellow. <laughs> well, hopefully I carry myself the same way no matter where I'm at. <laughs> um, Tony, I, I watched your clip. I think it was on CNBC or on CNN. Um, 
about your airplane analogy. And it was actually very good. Uh, I don't know how many people truly appreciate the physics behind flying an airplane. You can maybe go through it with us. But you think sort of the market is about to have a bit of an air stall. Uh, so with that as the table being set, please give us your thesis for the U.S. stock market for the next few months, shall I say. You bet, Wolfie. And uh, okay, so we call the what we're looking for is a power on stall. And just think about an air show. Everybody, just about it. Everybody has gone to an air show. Uh, we have the best one in Toronto, by the way. When you, when, when, no, sorry, Tony. Right? We, no, we have a great we have a great one in Toronto because all the American hardware shows up, blows us all away. So uh, sorry, but it was uh, great. Yes. Great. So so the just think of the plane going horizontal across the you know near the runway they come swooping down they get a, a whole ton of speed and they go full power and then they pull up sharply the guy puts on the smog and every and it looks really cool and he goes up 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 and, goes up and at some point even though he hasn't changed the power it's still full power the plane stalls and starts to tumble back toward the earth. It regains the airspeed and it goes again. So that's what we're talking about with the market. We're talking about a market that, that should stall out, not because things are bad, not because things are negative, not because the market is weaker. It's because it's been so strong and investors are so optimistic that no matter how much power you have, no matter how good the economy is, at some point, you stall out. And the, let me ask you, just, sorry, sorry, Tony, just the physics behind flying an airplane. I, I'm just curious. And I was always fascinated by aviation. I used to make balsa, balsa wood airplanes, and they were a lot of fun. Uh, not worth the aggravation, but a lot of fun nonetheless. But why does the plane stall out? Is it because the air becomes thinner? Because that's obviously because the, 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 the air key, becomes key thinner. Of, and because you're so steep. You're going at such a steep incline that when the air becomes thinner and you begin to slow down, you lose the airflow over the wing, which do, which takes away from the lift. Now, so again, so, so, so let's get a market, you know, mark, mark, market analogy. Um, lift to the wings. I understand that, that analogy. You need to keep air going over your wing to keep the plane flying. But isn't that money for the market, the, the central bank printing money and throwing everything at it to get it going? Which it it's is. done. And, it, and that's what it's done. And now we know it's there, and it's still there, and it's been put to work. So the question going forward is, will there be an even increased amount of money, an accelerated pace of money? And again, I, I want to make sure that I don't come across as negative. Things are good. The macro backdrop is good. The market is healthy. It's just that it's gotten a little too healthy. And some of that money has already been put to work and then actually been levered up. And that was put to work. So it's created this excess liquidity that is fueling this uh, steeper ascent in stock prices. Remember in our plane discussion, part of it is it's going up so steeply that eventually as, you, as the air becomes thinner, you lose power and you lose the airflow over the wind. And it's the same thing with the stock market. The steeper it goes up and the longer it maintains that steepness, the harder it is to keep the lift. And that's all we're saying is that just needs a little bit of a pause here. And you're 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 expecting again. The headline was in and around a ten percent pause. That's correct. Meaning, put me a pullback. You've gotten it in a lot of stocks in the Russell two thousand and Nasdaq Composite Index, and eventually correct. it comes around and it gets the bigger cap names.
Very, very interesting. Well, the earnings are coming out, Tony. And again, we can speak to that. 20% of U.S. companies have reported quarterly earnings results and 85% of those businesses have surpassed analyst estimates. Yet, since earnings season, the market has basically drifted sideways. So basically speaking exactly to what Tony said, much of this has been priced, meaning this good news, has been market. So a couple of things, Tony. Uh, number one, I think everyone in my universe, uh, again, guests on the radio that I'm bringing on, are expecting a pullback in the market of in and around 10 to 15%. Uh, and, and that does cause me concern that consensus could be wrong. That said, the market has a real extreme bullish bias. So is the market overly optimistic, overly bullish, or, or is consensus for a market correction? Well, I think there's a difference in, in what we're phrasing as the consensus. I, I'm not seeing a consensus in the institutional community that there's a, you know, an imminent correction. I, I do believe that a lot of people think, you know, as you guys know, one of my favorite lines is when the market's going up, everybody like me says, oh, yes, a correction would be natural, normal, and healthy. And it's very easy to say because the market's going up. When the market's down uh, – not so much. It doesn't feel so natural, normal, and healthy. And that's really where the difference in that and, and what you're explaining is that they may be cautious, they may be nervous, but when it starts going down, it feels like something else. And, I, you know, again, I don't think it'll be any different this time. And, and I also want to make it clear, this isn't something I want to fear. I don't, I don't want to look at this and say, okay, this is really a negative environment. I want to sell everything and run. This is just create, a, if you have excess exposure and stocks that have gone straight up, take a little bit of profits and be willing and ready to put that to work when the market pulls back. Well, my good friends, uh, we're going to speak some more with my good friend, Tony Dwyer. Uh, he is, well, he's a good friend of mine. He's a very smart man on Wall Street, but uh, most importantly, he's the head of U.S. Macro Group and our chief market strategist at Canaccord. He's also on the U.S. Operating Committee. What he really is, is really smart. And well, he looks at data and history uh, for uh, parallels between what's taking place right here, right now, and going forward. It's always a pleasure to spend time with Tony Dwyer. Quick commercial break, and we'll get right back to the show about money. Uh, WolfgangKlein.com is the website if you have any questions or any thoughts between now and commercial break. Stay tuned, my friends. A couple minutes, we'll be right back with you. Listen, we're going to take a break, but when we come back, more money talk. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. You know, my friends, it is the truth. And I used to share something with you about money. When I sat down with new clients when I got into this business some 20 years ago, and I mapped out a financial plan that took them from that date until basically date of death. Well, you know, we moved forward 20 years and to see uh, factual numbers on paper versus estimates is quite surprising and it's quite, well, uh, pleasant. You got to jack and i profusely for 20 years of commitment uh to uh, his financial well-being and again uh, jack and i can't 
to our great work with the, without the partnership and, and, and the likes of individuals like Mr. Tony Dwyer, our present guest. Uh, he's Canaccord's head of the U.S. Macro Group and chief market strategist. He's frequently on CNBC. Very, very handsome man uh, who likes to play in airplanes every now and then. My good friend, I got to pray for you. You know, keep the air f over the wings, right? <laughs> Let's hope so, buddy. <laughs> Don't hit anything solid. That's the rule. Here is the deal. I'm coming back to my favorite analogy, and, and, and I'm repeating it over and over again to myself. Probably something you do in a bull market, which we are in. And, you know, it's funny. Every time I touch my portfolio, every time I sell something and buy something, immediately I'm wrong. And it reminds me of the old, a portfolio is like a bar of soap. The more you touch it, the smaller it gets. You know, Warren Buffett, there's so much wisdom in that man. You buy great businesses and hold on to them forever. Now, great businesses don't remain great forever. And that's, again, where the challenge comes. What, what you help Jack and I do is quite different than that. It's really it's looking at the mood of the market, it's looking at money flows, it's looking at extremes, it looks at valuations, and trying to anticipate the future. The trick is to be able to actually execute that. Uh, selling at a profit, that's tricky. We're coming up against tax time, my good friends, and uh, if you book profits last year, which I certainly did for my clients, ouch, we're getting big tax bills right now. Well, because we booked several years of profit. Um, but the, the challenge is you sell something that's up, you try to rotate, and what you rotate into goes down and what you sold goes higher. Uh, hence, a portfolio is like a bar of soap. The more you touch it, the smaller it gets. But Tony, your suggestion in this environment is if you're capable, Wolf and Jack is really where you're speaking to us, not the listener. If you're capable, perhaps take a little bit of money off the table in here and wait for when it is, you know, not so pleasant, i.e. a pullback, and then tactically put the money back to work. Uh, correct? Well, Wolfgang and Jack... Because I have, a second, I, have a second, I have a second... No, I have a second question on that. So I was hoping to get a yes answer to the correct. <laughs> it, it's correct, but it truly depends on your, fi your financial advisor and how they guide, like you and Jack, and how you guide individual. I want to make it clear that I think it's inappropriate for people like me to come on TV and tell people what to do with their own personal portfolio. My job's more to talk about the environment than exactly what somebody should do. But at this point, you know, again, I, as you know, I think the market's pulling back short term. So how you react to it is up to guys like you guys based on what yeah. your client needs are. Yeah, no, because I, I, I just go back to it. I, I sold so many stocks, you know, last year, previous year, you know, because if you buy great businesses, they tend to work out. Uh, but it's just amazing. It's, oh, my God, that, that stock scared me. I sold it a year and a half later. Problem solved, stock gets new highs. Uh, yeah. And I learned that from one of our fidelity managers. Jack, which fidelity manager taught that to me? It's just so simple. So simple. That was, it was Steve McMillan that said, you really just want to buy great businesses uh, and extend your time horizon. And I also think what Tony's talking about here, you know, there is always another correction coming around the corner, whether it's, you know, six months, 12 months or three months, who knows when it's going to come. But you need to know what you're going to do when that happens. And if as an advisor and a client, your process is to hold through those periods of time, knowing and understanding that you have great businesses. That's great. And if you want to be a bit more tactical, um, you can certainly do that too. book some profits here and hope for a correction and look for a correction to, to redeploy that money. But the, I think the key factor is to, to have a plan, know that it's going to come at some point. Um, you know, we experienced that, I would say, you know, late February with some of these technology names and the names that we owned, we're comfortable with. We held on to them. We didn't panic and uh, most of them have recovered. Yeah, the, the thing uh, is, again, is so, well selling up, you know, but sell, and, and selling up here is one thing that's, you know, that, that's quite doable. 
uh, you won't have to pay tax now till next year. You know, we, we own Generac. Uh, De, Tony, an idea I got at the Canaccord conference three years ago. Um, uh, I paid 70 some odd dollars for the stock. It appeared expensive then. Uh, you know, time keeps on slipping, slipping into the future. Three years later, Generac's a $330 stock. Uh, Again, leave that little bar of soap alone. Sometimes it works out. Now, again, selling up here is fine. I don't think there's any. The problem is, my good friends and Wolf and Jack, I'm going to speak to ourselves. If you raise cash here, you have to buy the bad news. And Tony, you know, and I know, and Jack, you know, that's the harder part. Um, you know, when do you yeah, begin okay. buying and how bad does the news have to be? But Tony, you got yourself a contrarian indicator or two. A flatter me, which is one of your favorite contrarian indicators on the, on the street. I love the percentage of mark. Uh, I, well, first, I love there's um, something called the National Association of Active Independent Managers. It's a it's a whole big group of money managers, whether they're small, large, um, hedge fund, mutual fund, a lot of different kind of avenues in how they look at things. And each week, they're polled about what their exposure is toward toward the equity market, and it's it's historically high currently. And I think that that's a really important one. And just to just to dovetail with what both of you guys are saying. So the truth of the matter is it's never paid to sell a single thing because the market's at a new all-time <laughs> high. The S&P 500 is, is within a few days of an all-time high, which by definition meant it's always bad to sell. It's always been bad to sell. Even in the 87 crash or all the other times, if you're at a new all-time record high, it didn't pay to sell. That said, Part of the problem is when things get scary to what Jack said, people that haven't taken a little bit of profit when it goes up a little too much start to get really scared when it goes down and then begin to sell at the exact wrong time when the market's weak. Yeah. So that's, that's what right. we try to do is maybe prepare people that you could have a period of weakness and then you know guys like you can talk to them about what they should do. You know, that, that's exactly it. Because uh, you, you prepare me for weakness, weakness, Tony. This is it. You prepare Jack and I for weakness. Jack reminds me, hey, Tony said, Tony said. And, and, but I go back to, but can I profit from that successfully? Uh, again, uh, I'm prepared for the weakness. I remind my clients that there's some weakness coming. But two, three years out, I think you're going to agree with us. Market is probably, like the probabilities are high that the market's higher two or three years out than they are than it is today correct very in correct. a world of probabilities a, uh, excess liquidity and, and and the beginning of an economic recovery globally yeah the roaring 20s baby that's what's uh, i think on the table it's an exciting time but uh, it's not without risk uh again the, i think one of the keys to, to managing money successfully is minimize error and error is exactly what tony spoke about if you're not going to book profit here my good friends certainly don't minimize losses when the market begins to roll. Jack brings the point up. JP Morgan reminds Jack and I of it each and every year that each and every year you can guarantee yourself a 10% correction every two or three years, a 15 to 20% correction. And once a decade, it appears, according to history, you get about a 50% whammo down market, right? So that's what she is long term, I think. Uh, have a, an optimistic view. Tony Dwyer, it's a real treasure to have you uh, on our team. I can't thank you enough. Uh, you look great on television. You sound great on the radio. Uh, be, be, be safe in the air. And uh, congratulations to America for uh, as rapidly you have. You have. Uh, you're a beacon to the world right now. And I commend uh, the United States of America for that. God bless.
America. God bless Canada. Good friends, Jack, as well. God bless each and every one of you. I love you, and uh, I'll speak to you next week right here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. You've been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, Portfolio Managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi-Fi Radio, for the love of money. We'll see you next week. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto.